for the majority of the fashion industry, the business model is unsustainable from the ground and up. So the only way to really make a sustainable brand is to think sustainability into the business model from the beginning. Otherwise, you're just trying to fix leaks in a broken pipe. I'm Michael Gloucester, and this is Fashion Cast. We're talking to fashion leaders and disruptors as we seek inspirational stories and expert insight into the world's most dynamic industry. Heard in over 70 countries, we're building an international fashion community based on fashion topics that matter. Please visit our website, fashioncast.co, to join our email list and learn more. Now, enjoy the show. In this episode of FashionCast, you'll hear from Danish author, speaker, YouTube sensation, and sustainability educator, Gitta Marie Johansson. After years of education, research, and experience, the multi-talented advocate for zero-waste living has built a career teaching the rest of us how to live more sustainably. Gitta Marie is no stranger to the fashion industry either. As a former fashion blogger who modeled and reported on the latest fashion trends, she became acutely aware of fast fashion's ecological shortfalls. While in college, Gitta Marie transitioned her career after learning about the zero-waste movement. Now, with over 100,000 subscribers to her YouTube channel, she has become one of the most recognized advocates for sustainable living. Gitta Marie Johansson is joining FashionCast from Aalborg, Denmark. Welcome to FashionCast, Gitta Marie. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're so excited to have you on our show. So please tell us how you became involved in the sustainable living movement. Actually, it was completely by chance, if you believe it. So I used to work with fashion when I was growing up. I was a young teenager when I entered high school. I was in love with fashion and the self-expression. So naturally, I started a fashion blog. I started working with Copenhagen Fashion Week, which is very far away from sustainable living and, and the lifestyle I live now. I didn't grow up with all these principles about sustainability naturally ingrained in my upbringing. It was something I learned about by sheer coincidence back in 2016 or 15, where I saw someone from the zero waste movement using a jar, like a mason jar, to carry three years worth of trash. And that sort of started the spiral of me thinking about waste and plastic and trash. And then I began a zero waste experiment. I told the people on my fashion blog, would you be interested in me uh, trying to be zero waste for a month. And um, no people were interested in that at that time. <laughs> but I sort of just continued to do it anyway. And I think today I was one of the first people in Denmark to talk about zero waste and, and this low waste, low trash movement. And that sort of evolved that 30 day challenge into the livelihood that I have today and my platform and all the work that I do. It all started with this one month experiment. Well, isn't it how a lot of things happen in life? You I kind think of, so. Yeah, mm -hmm. you stumble into them. Mm -hmm. And then next thing you know, it's a career. It's a career. Absolutely. It's a very, very famous career, too. I mean, you're downloaded around the world, you know, over 100,000 subscribers. It's just unbelievable what's happened. So you followed your passion and your kind of inner voice. You know, 
What do you think at this point, knowing that and kind of where you are and where you've come from, what do you think your your mission is then? I think my mission has to do with combining sustainable living, combining this awareness of how we exist in the world and how we can take care of the planet's resources with living a good life, with thriving and having a nice time. I run into this myth so often when I talk about my lifestyle that people think that I am incredibly boring, that I never do anything fun, that I'm always just very bland because you can't do anything fun when you're trying to be sustainable, of course. So I think my mission is to show that you can thrive and actually have this amazing quality of life that is even better when you care, when you care about the things around you and how you use resources and how you exist in the world. I think it's such a fundamental uh, way of looking at the world now in this changing climate that we're seeing, that we're able to find this quality of life within thriving on lesser resources. So that's what I want to show. Well, yeah, I think part of the problem for most people is, I mean, you kind of nailed it. You know, you have to, to live this kind of lifestyle. You have to be very mindful and you have to be present right? And most people are not, right? They're just kind of, you know, mindless robots kind of going through the day and I've got to pick up this, I've got to buy this, I've got to do this. And I think this type of lifestyle forces, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it would force you to think through, you know, what am I doing? What am I using, etc. Is Is that what you're finding or not? Absolutely. So one thing that I've learned I've been in this lifestyle since 2016 at this point. And slowly and over time, you create a language of talking about resources and talking about how you exist sustainably. That's not necessarily something every consumer has from the beginning. It's not something that's always naturally there, especially not if we live in a mass-producing, over-consuming society. It's very easy to lose track of these things because they're not presented to you. So I think for the majority of the time, and that's what I do for a living now, it's sort of unlocking that language for us, where we don't necessarily have to see this link between lux- luxury and living a great life and thriving and overconsumption. Because so often when we think of luxury and, and just enjoying life, we think of things that are unsustainable, but it doesn't have to be that way. But we need to unlock those ways of thinking when they're not naturally there. There's a wide variation in the definition of the word sustainable. You're a sustainability educator and even authored a successful book called Sustainable Badass. (laughs) What is your definition of the word sustainable? I love that you bring up this question because this is just such a pet peeve of mine. When we talk about sustainability, we, we can talk about anything in the world, right? It's such a big, wide umbrella term. True. And today I think often that it, it has started to describe so many things that it means nothing anymore. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, there is actually a pretty like a standard definition of what sustainability is, which I often like to remind people on my platforms and whenever I do public speaking and such. So the the, the definition is sustainable and sustainable development is a way for the current generations to maintain their uh, values and their consumption without that being at the expense of future generations to do the same. Which is a very wide definition still, but it's often what we need to be looking at and 
what I'm seeing often is that a lot of companies and a lot of corporations are using sustainability with their own premises and their own definitions, meanwhile ignoring that there actually is a definition of what this means. So that is my definition of sort of what I'm leaning towards and up against. It's this official definition that it's about maintaining your own uh, body, maintaining your well-being, but not at the expense of others or future generations. So, Gidamari, that is the definition because you are the author of The Sustainable Badass, so you are the badass. She is. <laughs> and yeah, so you have redefined you know, I think, in other words, you've thought about it for years and years and years and years, and you've had all the pushback. You've had time to refine what you think about that particular word. So I would say whatever you just, you know, you know, shared, that is the definition. I think so. And I think, honestly, you can boil it down to when we talk about sustainability, I think there is a big difference between what individuals practice as sustainability and what companies are selling as sustainability and what politics are described as sustainable. I think those things are vastly different because we can expect different things from these sectors. So when I talk about sustainability in my book, for instance, I'm referring not only to what's happening out in society, but most of all, what you're doing in your own home and what you're doing to maintain resources and be mindful. And I think those things are different. Often I see people expecting similar things from themselves as they do from companies and vice versa. When the fact is that companies have a completely different scope for what sustainability is manufacturing wise, development wise, it's just different. So I don't think individuals should expect the same things of themselves or the same scale of impact and change as we see big corporations have. So because sustainability is the same when we say sustainable lifestyles as when we say sustainable brands, I think it's still really important to remember that those two are really different. Well, yeah, they're totally different. Absolutely, they're different. And this is where you get into this whole conversation about, you know, I've been hearing about sustainability forever, it seems like, especially in fashion. And then, of course, and you've brought up many, many countless times on your videos, the whole, what I would consider an industry, the greenwashing cottage industry within the fashion industry, which is just pathetic. And I don't think most consumers get it because it's so well done and it's so easy to overlook. And again, most people aren't looking for it. They just want to know, oh, is this company green or not? If, if they are even doing that. But nevertheless, can you explain a little bit in terms of the sustainability? You know, okay, we got past that. We have a great definition for that. And all of a sudden pops up greenwashing. So greenwashing, and in, especially in terms of the textile industry and fashion, is so incredibly infuriating. And I'm so often faced with the discussion of what sustainable fashion even is and how you can maintain an industry like that whilst thinking about sustainability. Yeah, you go, girl. One, <laughs> you go, man. Yeah, yeah, no shit. Yeah, keep going. Sorry. It's, it's so frustrating, right? And one thing that I keep seeing over and over again is that many brands within the fashion industry are symptomatically trying to repair their supply chains and business models, which doesn't work. Um, so when I say symptomatically, for instance, it's like using 70% re recycled organic cotton. It's uh, making a conscious line. It's using recycled polyester. It's using all these things that individually those 
actions are great, but it's not the only way we can solve the issues we're seeing with overconsumption. And for the majority of the fashion industry, the business model is unsustainable from the ground and up. So the only way to really make a sustainable brand is to think sustainability into the business model from the beginning. Otherwise, you're just trying to fix leaks in a broken pipe, basically, in my opinion. It'll be too late at that point. Absolutely. At least it will not come at the expense of the overall impact of the product or of the company in and of itself. I think there is a massive misunderstanding within the fashion industry of what sustainability even means, because I see practically no brand talking about reduction of product, which is the only thing that would really have an impact on the industry's uh, overall emissions as we see them. So today is around 100 billion or 150 billion pieces of clothes that's made every single year. About 30% of all the clothing that we produce today will be thrown away because we overproduce. And this is at the expense not only of resources, but also people, right? Mm -hmm. So we have people working in sweatshops, making practically nothing. It has been uh, compared to modern slavery so many times what we're seeing in the fashion industry. And we're just being sort of told this lie that if we buy something with a green tag, it's going to be okay. But the production is the same. The volumes of clothing are the same. Uh, And we don't even use all the clothing we have, which is another place to start the discussion about sustainable fashion, I guess. 70% of our wardrobes we don't use. Well, the ultimate contradiction is quote-unquote, sustainable, fast fashion. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Does just, not exist. Does not exist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, and you just laid it out and wonderfully. So what just happened during your explanation is I'm quite certain my blood pressure went way up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that didn't mean to. <laughs> no, no. I mean, yeah, because you start to look at Zara and H&M and Fashion Nova, and Topshop, and Primark. I mean, on and on and on. And there's just no way to corral these companies. And, you know, and, and then in the meantime, they're, they're making it worse by introducing, like, like you mentioned, you know, this conscience line, the conscious line. Um, I mean, that's at H&M. That, that makes no sense. It's like probably the smallest selling line they have. And everything else is 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 not, or it's unconscious. <laughs> you know, everything else is unconscious that they're doing. So yeah, the greenwashing is rampant. It's totally out of control. It's it's an absolute joke. But you know, there's other paradoxes. You know, I don't know how you feel about this. There's designers. You think, okay, they're doing the right thing. The Stella McCartneys, the Eileen Fishers, the Gabriella Hurst, just a number have been doing it for a long time. And they have changed the conversation, you know, and it's very notable that they're doing this. On the other hand, the fact is the sales of those particular luxury brands, they happen to all be luxury brands. And that, and there's another problem with that. If it's sustainable, does it have to be luxury? Or if it's sustainable, does it have to be expensive? So there's that paradox that, okay, I'm producing sustainable clothing and apparel, yet nobody can afford it. So there's an accessibility issue of sustainable clothing, you would say? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're saying many interesting things. And a lot of this I have, I've thought about myself many times. So I think there are a couple of angles we can attack this from. So one thing that I think is important to mention is 
paying people fair wages and using uh, sustainable, quote unquote, sustainable materials. They're only really as sustainable as how much of it is produced. But doing all these things in the value chain and in the company all around circularly, that's going to cost more money than fast fashion prices always. There, there even is a huge markup on fast fashion clothing, but paying people fair wages would make clothes more expensive. And we see that with brands that are trying to do better. So I think there is, from an accessibility point of view, we need a mentality change in consumers because we have gotten so used to being able to pay so little money for stuff for clothes and we can see it's still incredibly popular with the rise of wish and we have timu and shein and all these shit brands that are marketing themselves as being extremely cheap and that's sort of their main selling point we are so used to being able to buy such cheap clothes that we forget what the value of the material is actually representing. But when it comes to luxury brands, I think many consumers have this idea that things are necess- are always more sustainable if you pay more for them, which isn't even the case. We do see some examples of designers that are going the extra mile, which I think is great. We need to solve this issue in the fashion industry, both from the top and from the bottom and vice versa. But you can pay what is like $10,000 for Birkenbag and it's not necessarily going to be more sustainable than if you paid $2,000 for a bag where people were paid fair wages. There are so many instances where we assume that the price will always mean that people got paid, but we see many types of designer brands that are using the same sweatshops throughout (laughs) the world. Maybe better material, that's about it. (laughs) Probably better materials, absolutely, but it's sort of in the consumer end of the product and how it's going to be used. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's more than half of the world's leather that's still tanned with chrome, which is incredibly toxic to handle. It's incredibly toxic for the water systems that it's wa- washed into. And that goes for both cheap-ass fast fashion and for Gucci handbags. And they're equally... Uh, responsible for not thinking out of the box and doing something different when we know the options are actually there, but it's not a priority. Well, okay. So when you say Gucci and you refer to, let's say LVMH and Keering and some of these, you know, which they own a boatload of luxury fashion companies, there almost seems to be from their point of view, a dismissive kind of attitude towards all of this is almost if fast fashion isn't part of their industry, you know, and that's another problem and it's not our problem. And yet it is our problem because like you just mentioned, they're doing some of the same things. I mean, it is everybody's problem as well, right? But it's not their priority. And it's not their priority whatsoever. It's also really expensive. It's very frustrating to look at this from the outside. It's even worse when you sort of think about your past self and how I just desperately wanted to be a part of the fashion industry. Maybe not so much now. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't bury those photos of you like carrying H&M bags and stuff. (laughs) You're so honest. I try to be, but I think that's also a really important part of communicating what sustainable use of fashion looks like because 
I am not a minimalist whatsoever. I've talked about that many times on my platforms because people sort of assume that when you're sustainable, you're also a minimalist. True. Or you also that's have. what I assumed. I'm sorry. Yeah, right. Yeah, but but that's okay because people do I'm that. I'm a minimalist, I'm, but yeah, I'm so less I. sustainable. We're, we're, oh, <laughs> well, we are minimalist. I am a big time minimalist, but uh, I'm becoming more sustainable with time, of course. So I love collecting vintage, for instance. That's one of my favorite things. So I have just... A, bunch of stuff but it's all vintage it's all from the oh, 60s and yeah. 70s i love wearing that and using those things and i also want to explain that even though i haven't stepped foot in a fast fashion shop for nearly 10 years i wasn't always like that because people often see or hear what i think or believe and then they assume that oh she was always like this and i'm not like that so i can never become that when in fact i had to change my life completely around but it took a lot of time and it it was many small steps that sort of led to this change and if i can do it everybody can do it well but you're leaving a, a huge part out Gita marie and that is you took many many slings and arrows along the way right it wasn't like i'm going to turn this part of my life on now and nobody's going to notice and i'm just going to go do my own thing it it seems to me that it was difficult. It's taken years and, you know, apparently you lost some friends along the way. Um, you know, people are just ignorant. They're indifferent. So, I mean, that's part of this message too. But I think in the end, at this point, you're winning. <laughs> you're definitely winning. I hope she's so. ahead of the game. She's Yeah, yeah. I hope I'm winning for sure. I mean, I feel tons better at this point now. I remember a couple of years ago, I read a study from Denmark that showed that on average consumers are exposed to more than 1,200 different commercials and ads, everything from colors, logos, jingles, and all kinds of imagery, like so many ads and promotions are, bomb we are bombarded with them, which takes up a huge chunk of our mental capacity sometimes. So when you decide to step out of the consumer circle and not buy anything, when you decide all that, like you you become so so much more at peace with yourself. So in that way, I really think that I'm winning. Yeah, no, I think you're not only winning that game, but you're winning this game against people who are kind of questioning what, you know, zero waste living and sustainable living and so forth. So... Yeah, and I mean, this this one question that you could, you could probably spend hours on, but we don't want to do that. You know, one of our guests who he's been on the show a few times, and he's a, a local designer, Aki Chocolate. He's actually, from, where, he's from Finland, isn't he? Yes, he's yeah. from uh, Helsinki. Helsinki. Yeah. I love yeah. Helsinki. Yeah, yeah just, he lives in Detroit now. He's a, a professor here or yeah, yeah. In, in one of the universities. Yeah. And so when he was on the show, he mentioned this, this is a few years or maybe three years ago. And I never forgot what he said. And I don't know, it wasn't even on the air. We were just talking. He said, yeah, the world is drowning in clothes. And it's it such, is though. Yeah. It's such a great visual to think about it. And then once you start down that rabbit hole, why is it drowning in clothes? And like you mentioned earlier, 100 to 150 billion garments produced every year. Well, there's only 8 billion people every year. I mean, how many yeah. So, yeah, we can see it is drowning in clothes, but the question is, what's the toll? What is the toll from your research and your studies and your conversations with everybody in the industry and outside the industry, the ecological toll 
And then also the toll just on these workers that you've mentioned previously. So overall, I'm always incredibly hopeful. I am an optimistic person, even if defeat stares me right in the face. Mm -hmm. I always prefer to look at things in the positive light. And what I just can see from what I have been doing and talking about this, inviting people into the conversation, is that we are learning. We have been used to fast fashion for not very long. In human history, not very long. In just modern history, not very long either. It's only a couple of decades. Our consumption of clothes have spiked since the 90s. So it's not an, it's a fairly new phenomenon and people have gotten used to it very, very quickly. But so many people are also very, very interested in hearing what's the alternative? We can't, this can't be all there is to it. And one thing, when, we, when we're talking about drowning in clothes, by the way, there is a photo project called Fashion Dump Site. They visit different cities in the global south and take pictures of what happens to the clothes we donate to charity, both through charity shops as well as through fast fashion take-back programs. And this is one of the things I've always gotten the biggest shock out of people when telling them this. When you have, for instance, in H&M, you have these bins, you can put your clothes, your old clothes into the bins, and then they give you a voucher, whatever, to shop more clothes, which is also really contradictory. But then H&M tells people that they're recycling the clothes. However, they are collecting so much clothes because so much excesses, uh, uh, just like leftover clothes exists here. There is no infrastructure in the world available to deal with the amount and volume of clothes that exist. So it's just being shipped to countries in Africa where there is absolutely no infrastructure to take it apart, recycle it, or dispose of it in a proper way. So it ends up in our environment. It ends up in big landfills dedicated to clothing because it's polyester. So much of our clothes today is polyester, so it also doesn't biodegrade. We are literally drowning in clothes. This has been an issue for many years at this point, but I think we're only starting to really see it now in Denmark, especially this is a place where we are very shielded from the consequences of our consumption. We're just starting to realize that there is another price to pay from the amount of stuff that we buy, fashion as well as anything else, really. Well, the collection bins at H&M and Zara and so forth are Mm. just an extension of the greenwashing, you know, message that they have. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just another arm within the program or division within the greenwashing program. Yeah, no, it's it's devastating. It's very serious. And I don't think most consumers understand what you just, you know, talked about. I know this audience will. So we'll be right back with Gitter Marie Johansson after this message from our sponsor, Omei Organics. That's O-M-E organics.com. Hi, I'm Christine. You may know me as co-host of Fashion Cast, but I'm also the founder and CEO of Omei Organics. I believe skincare should be simple. Our hyaluronic cream is all you need to nourish your skin morning and night. Sourced from the highest quality organic ingredients from around the world and manufactured in an FDA facility right here in the USA, 
This incredible cream works to firm, deeply moisturize, and smooth the appearance of your skin. Please visit omeorganics.com and use promo code FASHIONCAST to receive a 15% discount off your first purchase, and you will receive our monthly newsletter free. Now, back to the show. Earlier in your career, you had a close relationship with fast fashion as an influencer and reporter. How did you transform your fashion style to fit your sustainable lifestyle? So I love this question, by the way, because I can get to talk about one of my absolute main points. And it's that sustainability is not an aesthetic or a fashion style. It's a method, Mm -hmm. which means that whatever style or preference you have for colors or patterns, different types of clothing, you can do all of those things sustainably. I think there is no way of looking sustainable. There's only ways of being sustainable, in my opinion. When we start to think about the aesthetic focus, sustainability, we're we're nearing greenwashing town. So often it becomes very bamboo straws and tote bags, and that's enough for today. So I think that's such a good thing to remember when we are putting pressure on ourselves to be sustainable, that we're looking at what we're doing and not what it looks like. I think that's so much better. And when it comes to sort of my past with fast fashion and now, I think style-wise, it was never a problem for me. I've always been very experimentative with my style. I went through a huge boho phase as well, which in many ways were not super great. I had dreadlocks too. I regret that every single day. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see those pictures online. Oh, but they're also very far back. Um, but I recently <laughs> yeah. posted a video because I turned 30, where I react to my past eras, I think I'm calling it. Um, both my my fashion week era as well as this boho phase, which is um, very regrettable, but we're getting some good laughs out of it in the video. I think it's very fun. Dreadlocks. Oh, that's <laughs> oh, cool. That's yeah. too cool. Yeah. Not so great for my very straight white hair. Also the emo phase, all that stuff. It's, it's so much fun. But you can do all of these things sustainably. It does. It just depends on where you get your clothing, what you're willing to make yourself and what you're willing to find secondhand. But you can do all of it sustainably. And I have transitioned also within my style after being sustainable, after looking into sustainability as well as before. So I don't think that has been a hindrance in my sustainable lifestyle that I wanted to express myself in a certain style. Yeah, that's a good point that you transitioned once you became sustainable, quote unquote, then you transitioned within that style too. Yeah, that's very interesting. So have you ever contacted today's current social media, you know, fast fashion type influencers and said, hey, I'm Ged Marie. I've kind of gone down this path and maybe we can talk. And, you know, has that happened? And if you did, you know, what kind of advice would you give them? It is something that I've done in the past. I've also made videos specifically about certain brands and and influencers working with certain brands like the Shein uh, influencer trip to China, um, where they got to see the quote unquote headquarters and it was very easily um like it was very transparent what they were trying to do um sort of showing that everything is fine here there's no modern slavery what are you talking about yeah it was about? totally so, manipulated right yeah very very manipulative so i 
I did use um, sort of that video to say, hey, share this with your favorite influencer who perhaps doesn't know about these things yet. Because again, it's about developing the language to understand what we're seeing. And I didn't always have that. Lots of people don't have that now. And we need to sort of move forward to the people that do not have that with compassion. So I would never in a million years go into someone's comment section and just start roasting them for using Sara or H&M and whatnot. Never, of course, because you don't really learn from that. And then we have a very human sort of response system that goes, oh, you're an idiot. I don't want to talk to you. Fuck you. Basically. Exactly. And then no one learns anything, which is also not very fun. So the times where I have reached out to content creators, I have simply just put forward a message saying, I don't know if you know about this. This is just really not great. Here's some resources. So if you want to learn more about it, here you go. Okay. And then, of course, I, I am the majority of the times where I'm talking about this. I am talking to individuals and consumers in general, people that are also following these people on social media, where I'm always telling people, if you see your influencers, like your favorite people on social media promoting these things, leave them a comment saying, oh, please don't support H&M and whatnot. It's sort of, it's not about peer pressuring or shaming anyone into not buying H&M ever, but there's a really big difference between having to buy a passive underwear for cheap because you, you're on a budget and you don't know what else to do, and then being paid thousands and thousands of dollars to promote these products. We saw it a lot with the Shein influencers that one of the main selling points in their sort of speech, the talking points that were given, was that Shein clothing is accessible. It's accessible and it's inclusive and that's great. But you don't need cheap clothing if you're making thousands and thousands of dollars per Instagram post. So why are you supporting this then? Is it, not, is it for you? I don't think it is. But it's, uh, it's, different. it's very difficult often to find a good balance between reaching out to people, being compassionate, and then just being really annoyed that this is still happening. Well, yeah, I think it's another fashion mystery. You know, why are they promoting this stuff and they're being paid a lot of money and promoting junk essentially. So that's another fashion mystery to me. But I think the way you are talking about how you're approaching some of these people, if you even are, it, it is more or less kind of a mentorship, you know, like, Hey, you might want to think about this or, you know, have you ever thought about this or here's some, here's some research. So yeah, that's very nice the way you're doing it. I don't think I think of myself, though, as a mentor. I've always sort of had this idea that what I'm doing, I'm doing for myself and to make my to make a good life for myself. I'm doing what I'm doing and that in its, of itself creates a ripple effect. So you don't have to point fingers at people and tell them, oh, you can't do that, you can't do that, because the sheer you existing, doing something different, will act as rings in water and will we'll have an effect. Often it's detrimental to demand change from people, especially from individuals, when it's a whole culture that we need to change. But I often see that if you're more welcoming and if you're accepting of both your own and other people's flaws, then they're more likely to listen and then they will actually also come to you. This was something I learned the very hard way when going vegan, by the way. <laughs> How long have you been a vegan? Uh, seven years. Wow, that's a long yes. time. But it's a very let people come to you 
philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm vegan too. And so, yeah, I understand that. So you understand there's a lot of psychology in this. Absolutely. So what have you found to be the most troubling about fast fashion? I think it's breaking down this idea that we as consumers and especially consumers in the West have a right to cheap clothing, have a right to be able to buy this stuff. It's when we're talking about changing the fashion industry and boycotting fast fashion brands because they're not only uh, exploiting our planet and our resources, but also other people so that we can buy cheap stuff. It's so thoroughly unethical. And sometimes we act in sort of the global cultural media as though our rights are being taken away when we ask people to boycott these brands, which I think is so, it's so tragic that we believe that we have a right to continuously be on trend or in fashion that this idea of being up to date in your clothing has become something that is so tied to people's personalities and identities. And we're putting so much of our identity into what we are able to buy to the point that when someone are telling us we can't buy this stuff anymore, at least like, let's try not to, we feel like our, like our identity is being taken away. That is some of the most troubling uh, developments that I see currently, especially so with audiences on TikTok and other short format uh, platforms. Yeah, well, that's enough. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we, you know, have a hard time thinking through is that, you know, do you constantly re-educate the consumer about sustainability and what to do and look at the tag? Or do you just clean all this mess up through the industry, you know, can you get in? Of course, that's very difficult to try to get the Just industry. Just go to the in. source. Yeah, go there because it's a self-policing kind of event that should be taking place and it's, and it's not taking place. So if we're having this similar conversation, say in five years, Marie, are you more confident about where we're going to be or less confident? Do you see any new kind of developments? Or are we just sitting here bitching about greenwashing in five years? I hope we can sit here and, and bitch about greenwashing in five <laughs> years. I would absolutely love that. So I'll take you up on that. But I think the solution is the hidden secret third solution, which is political initiative. So a lot of these brands are not going to change without there being an incentivement to change, without there being some economical benefit to changing the way their policies, the way their supply chains are working. And we're already seeing it a little bit today. I hope that in five years, we are way more ambitious when it comes to policymaking in the fast fashion industry and with corporations in general. Uh, just here in January in the EU, there was a legislation passed that companies cannot dispose of or burn or destroy uh, goods that they're not selling. And I think that's a really, really great first step because that has been a big problem in the textile industry. The disposal of products that are completely fine because, yes, yeah, I said in the beginning, 30% uh, of the clothes that we produce won't ever get sold because we're just overproducing. So if we have legislation that are looking to favor the planet and people rather than corporations, we're really going to get much further than if consumers just have to police themselves 
or we're waiting for the companies to do things without there being a benefit for them to do so. Yeah, that's a very good first step. Wow. Yeah, well, didn't H&M a few years ago, it was all over the news. I mean, it, it, it happens all the time, but to the ex- I'm not sure if it was to this extent. It was like they torched like $4 billion in inventory. Yeah, I heard about that. You know, yeah. at the end of the year. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. Absolutely. And it seems to be like the lowest hanging fruit to ban that type of behavior, but at least something is happening where we are uh, sort of allowing for the political landscape to alter what these corporations are doing. I think that is definitely the way forward. Are you collaborating with, or do you plan to collaborate with any sustainable fashion organizations, such as Global Fashion Agenda, Fashion Revolution, Fashion for Good, or Ellen MacArthur Foundation, perhaps? So I have been in contact with many of these organizations in the past, and I continuously use their research and the work that they're doing. I've also contributed here and there to some of the work that they are doing. I am very often referencing the Transparency Index by Fashion Revolution and the work of both Walk Free and the Clean Clothes campaign. I think some of their work is absolutely invaluable to our understanding of how far and how deep down this problem uh, exists and harms people. Yeah, that's great. And again, this is probably one of the better things that have come out of fast fashion. (laughs) Yeah. Now you have all these NPOs and NGOs too. And then you have this grassroots movement going on. And like you said, the transparency index, none of that really was necessary until this garbage started happening. But now I'm really happy that we have the tools to dissect what's happening, both as consumers as well as brands trying to actually make a difference, that there is material out there for for them to work with. I think that's invaluable. It's also a a testimony or witness to the fact that this is a really big problem. And we're often really easy globally, I think, culturally, we're very easy to disregard the impact of fashion because we underestimate fashion. We underestimate clothing because, ah, who cares about that, you know? But it's one of the most harmful industries on the planet. And I'm really happy that we're starting to act that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for 2024, here we are in the beginning we're wondering what Gitta Marie is doing. What is on your agenda this year? And, you know, where can our listeners find you on a regular basis? So I post basically every single day on social media, especially on Instagram. I try to be present on TikTok, but it's not always going very well, but I'm trying. And then I post videos on YouTube two times a week. And this this year, I will be giving a lot of lectures and doing public speaking events and some sustainable gastronomy workshops as well. So I'm very excited about that. Wow, that is exciting. The real question is, when are you coming to America? Or we can go visit yeah, her. Gitta Marie comes to America. Yeah, there it is. There's the title. She's on her way. There's I so, can... so much I would love to see in the US. But the, the truth is, I a couple of years ago, decided that I didn't want to travel with airplane unless absolutely necessary. So oh. I'm often turning down different jobs in the US and and stuff more abroad 
because we have a great train system in Europe, so I can get around really easily. But having having to go longer distances on a plane, I I'm trying to avoid as much as possible. Well, can we get you here by boat? Or something? <laughs> you can. Uh, you, we can. We can make. We can crochet a hemp <laughs> boat. Yes. And I'm so happy to show up. Yes. Maybe like, we'll go visit her. Yeah, well, she'll be mad if we don't go on the boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll need to see your crocheted boat then. Yeah, right. That's too funny. <laughs> that's cool. Well, that's very interesting. Get Marie Johansson, it has been an honor and a pleasure, a very, very special pleasure, actually. Thank you for appearing on Fashion Cast. Thank you so much for inviting me. I was happy to be here. Thank you for listening to Fashion Cast. To hear more shows and join our email list, please visit our website, fashioncast.co. You can also join us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Until next time, I'm Michael Gloucester for Fashion Cast, the voice of fashion. Fashion.